So as a journalist, I spend a lot of time poking around for story ideas. And one of the places I often turn to is Reddit. And last year in particular, I found myself going back each day to this forum called the Reddit Bureau of Investigation. I thought it was just fascinating. It's this place on the internet where anyone can go post a problem or a mystery they want solved. And then other strangers, these self-proclaimed web sleuths, they dig around trying to find answers. And some of the problems are serious. Like, hey, can you help me find this guy who robbed my house? Or I need help because I think I'm getting stalked. And other times, the posts are a lot more playful. Like, can anyone help me track down this teddy bear from the 90s? Or this random video I once saw in high school? Anyway, one day I was sifting through the forum when I came across this one post from a woman named Stephanie Stone. It looked like a lot of people had read Stephanie's post, but no one was really able to help. The thing she was trying to solve was so deeply personal, and it was a problem that never crossed my mind before. But after reading her post, I couldn't stop thinking about it. So that next morning, I messaged her, and after a couple exchanges, we decided to get on the phone. So wait, I realize I don't actually know really anything about you. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was like, unless, I mean, I was like, my Reddit profile is pretty sparse. So <laughs> yeah. Um, where where do you live? Um, I am living in Gainesville, Florida. Nice. Um, how old are you? I, um, oh my gosh. <laughs> you ever just forget? Um, I yeah, just turned 100%. 32 this last year. After some basic intros, we start talking about her Reddit post. And things got pretty heavy pretty quickly. That's because her post is about her brother, who passed away 13 years ago. What's his name? Michael. Michael. hmm Michael was 27 when he died. He was living in Austin, Texas. He was homeless and likely dealing with a drug addiction. Over the years, Stephanie's family had lost touch with him. So when he died, it was a surprise, and they didn't get that many details. All I got was he was is gone, and it was uh, cirrhosis of the liver, which I think it takes a lot of damage to get to that point. And when Stephanie's family got that call that he died in a hospital... No one, including her, had the money to fly down to Austin, let alone spend thousands on a burial. So Michael died indigent, meaning he didn't have any money to his name for a burial, and his family couldn't afford it either. And because of that, his body went unclaimed. So the local county stepped in and contracted a nearby funeral home to make their arrangements. It's been more than a decade since he died. And Stephanie, now as an adult, she has questions. Because even after all these years, she still doesn't know where exactly he's buried. And she hasn't been able to get access to any of the official documents about his death. Not even his death certificate. It's kind of just like a start and stop, start and stop of trying to dig through, like, you know, legal sites and things. And I think every time I was, I would get really enthusiastic of like, I'm going to, I'm going to just, I'm going to do all this stuff. I'm going to make all these phone calls. And it was like, I would do two things and I just... My brain would just be like, we're not, <laughs> we're not going to do that. You know, I just, I, I couldn't, I don't think I, I could. It all just feels too painful sometimes, too daunting. And the times she has poked around, it's led to a bunch of dead ends and she ends up feeling drained. 
And the whole thing is just frustrating because what she's looking for, it's pretty basic information. I mean, if I can just make sure the certificate is done and at least physically know where he is. And so in the absence of any official help, kind of as a last resort, Stephanie turned to Reddit to help find her brother. Because for so long, even when he was around, her brother and his whereabouts have been this nagging, defining feature of her life. It's been the center forever of like not knowing where he is and worrying about him for so long. It's like, I have to, I have to do something. Personally, what feels um, like at stake for you here, if you don't find answers? I just, I feel like... I'm putting pressure on myself, right? Like, I don't want to, I don't want to fail him. And I don't want to forget about him either. Because it's like everybody else did. I'm Rima Khreis, and welcome to This is Uncomfortable, a show for Marketplace about life and how money messes with it. Each year, tens of thousands of people in the U.S. die alone. And if a family member isn't able to afford their funeral arrangements, what happens next can feel like a bit of a black hole. And in Stephanie's case, the obscurity of it all has only intensified her grief. This week on the show, Stephanie's quest to find her late brother. It's a story about love and loss and how inequities can still persist even after death. Stephanie's earliest memory of her brother, Michael, is when she was in kindergarten and he was around 11. They were living in Baltimore with their mom, who at the time was struggling with an alcohol addiction. I would come home and come into the house and like, mom was quote unquote sleeping on the floor or quote unquote taking a nap, but she would have like, you know, the little Casio boombox next to her head, like blaring. And I swear she was like a foot away from it. It was routine for them to come home to this. Their mom passed out in the living room. Michael would notice this, and in his best big brotherly way, try to distract Stephanie. He was always like, oh, let's grab some Sunny D and like Mm. uh, Ritz crackers and peanut butter and let's go play Sega in, in my room and hang out and like wait for dad to come home or something. With drinks and snacks in their hands, the two of them would tiptoe over their mom, who was often blocking the pathway, and they'd hurry upstairs. Their relationship was like that, Michael looking out for her and Stephanie being the stereotypical, maybe annoying young sister latching on to her older brother's every move. She'd sit by his side as he played video games. She'd sneak into his room to play with his G.I. Joe toys. And whatever music he liked, she liked too. I was like, I don't know, six or seven, and already listening to like Nirvana and... (laughs) Uh, The Cranberries and Smashing Pumpkins way too young, probably. (laughs) And even though they're half-siblings, they have different biological dads, they look very similar. Blue eyes, blonde hair, same smile. Michael's biological dad was pretty much out of the picture. So Stephanie's dad had legally adopted Michael when he was a kid. As Michael grew older, he and Stephanie grew apart. He became moodier, more rebellious. In high school, he'd skip class, he grew out a mohawk, and he'd often stay out late. I remember my dad and I, like, getting in his truck, and I had just gotten out of, you know, the bath and wearing footy pajamas. And my dad and I are, like, in his truck trying to find my brother in, like, the suburbs of Baltimore. Oh, wow. 
Yeah, and being like looking around of like places where like kids go, you know, like the the quote unquote bad kids would go, you know. Eventually, when Stephanie was nine years old and Michael was still in high school, their parents got divorced. And even though their mom still had an alcohol addiction, she insisted that Stephanie and Michael live with her instead. She'd be like, oh, if you lived here, you can have your own telephone line, because, you know, that was the thing (laughs) back then. And you can eat whatever you want, have all the video games. And I, yeah, I feel like for my brother, it was just probably like, you can't pass that up. I want to do whatever I want, wherever I want. So that's what happened. Stephanie moved to Florida with her dad, and her brother stayed in Baltimore to live with their mom. Till this day, Stephanie still wonders what would have happened if he'd gone with them instead. Yeah, once once he was living with her, he it just it was a very quick change. He went from just rebellious haircuts and sneaking out of the house to dropping out of high school. And Stephanie suspects this is when the substance abuse started. He left Baltimore, and after that, she'd only hear from him sporadically. Random calls from payphones from different places around the country. He was always hopping trains, living life pretty much as a nomad. You know, we kept our landline because we knew he knew that phone number. Mm -hmm. And he would call maybe once a year sometimes. Even though Stephanie was now living alone with just her dad, the memories of her brother were all around her which somehow made his absence feel that much more painful. There were his baseball trophies in the living room. They still had his old Nirvana and Gavin Rossdale shirts, the old Disney blankets they used to share. And then there was the inevitable, innocent question she'd always get from people. Do you have any siblings? And uh, it was it was like, I, I, I learned quickly to just say either yes and leave it at that or just say no sometimes. Mm-hmm. I would just say no. When Stephanie was in high school, her dad did manage to finally track down Michael in Lake City, Florida, where he was living at the time. And he even drove out to visit him. I didn't find out until afterwards. Hmm. And I was so mad at my dad because I was like, why didn't you tell me? You could have taken me out of school. I could have come to see him and talk to him. And I always had it in my head that if I could, like, sit down with him, that I could, like, reason with him. Hmm. So. They could, like, change Yeah, and be like, hey, cut it out. Her dad did bring back a photo of Michael, which only worried her more. He looked rough. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. For only being, like, in his early 20s, or maybe at that point, like, he looked so bad. His skin, because of the drugs, looked different. Made him look at least 10 years older. That photo and her fear for Michael haunted her. For years. And when Stephanie was 20, when she was old enough, she decided, I'm going to find him and try to do what he'd done for her when they were kids. Find a way to protect him, to help him. You know, I I just had, of course, this romanticized thing of like, I'm going to track him down and I'm going to just drive out there and I'm, you know, I'm going to talk him into coming back with me. I don't know how it's going to happen. We can share my bedroom. I don't care. So Stephanie starts poking around, and she finds out he's living in Austin, Texas. And so she starts calling up all these homeless shelters. And I was like, can you just tell me if he's there? And she looked it up, and she said he was here two days ago. 
Whoa. And I was like, <gasps> you know, of course, I just got chills now thinking about it. She made a plan to go down there that next summer after she graduated college. But then, just a few days before graduating, while she was in the middle of finals, Stephanie was studying when she got a strange phone call from her dad. He was like, when are you coming home? And, you know, pretty short with me. And I was like, Dad, I'm, I have finals. You know this. Hello. <laughs> this is not a yeah. secret. And he was like, well, I, ne- I need you to come home. When she got home, they sat down together in the living room. And he just said, honey, Michael's gone. And I was so mad at myself because I had just tracked him down. The hours and days after Michael's death would eventually compound their grief, not just because of what happened, but because of what didn't. Stephanie says for some reason, Michael's biological dad, who'd never really been part of Michael's life, he was the one who got the call from the county about Michael's death. He didn't fly out to Austin to bury him, and neither did Stephanie's dad. A combination of finances and grief. It's like once everyone knew he was gone, it, there was no, like, action after that. Um, I know for my dad, he wasn't going to be able to afford it. And um, mm-hmm. I think he also just walled it off. We talked to Stephanie's dad, who told us at the time, back in 2009, he just lost his job because of the recession. He was falling behind on mortgage payments and couldn't even afford a tank of gas, let alone a plane ticket. And Stephanie, she was in deep debt herself, barely scraping by as a college student. So because Michael's family couldn't afford his funeral arrangements, county officials stepped in to take care of his burial. But Stephanie wasn't thinking about all that just yet. She was mourning a brother who she never got the chance to save. It wasn't until years later that she started asking questions. That's after the break. Talking to your backseat babies about money can be so hard. In fact, you probably don't even know where to start. So that's where the newest version of the Million Bazillion Academy steps in, our email newsletter course. You can start whenever, and you'll get a new lesson each week that you and your kids can complete at your own pace. They'll learn about crypto, the stock market, and so much more. And best of all, it's free. Million Bazillion Academy, making kids smarter about money. Sign up today at marketplace.org academy. A couple years later, once the grief stopped feeling all-consuming, Stephanie decided she wanted answers. She wanted to know what hospital her brother died in. What was his official diagnosis? Where exactly was Michael buried? Was he even buried or was he cremated? So she started digging around. And she found her first clue, his obituary. It was just one line. Michael Jr. Grimes, 27 years old, of Austin, formerly of Baltimore, died December 9th, 2009. And that's it. 
Do you know if anyone went to the service? No clue. To your knowledge? No yeah. clue. No clue. Then she found a local news article from a few years after his death. It mentioned that the county, in addition to burials, was going to start cremating unclaimed bodies to cut down on costs. So Stephanie assumed that meant up until that point, they were only burying folks. So I think wherever he is, he is probably, you know, in a vault in probably, I assume, a pine coffin of something that's very inexpensive. So he's, I assume he's fully, you know, whole in somewhere that way. This only intensified her search. It started a whole new line of thinking. If I can find his body, maybe I can have him cremated and bring him home. I have no idea how much any of this would cost to, like, exhume or move bodies. Um, But I also, like, that little sister in me is like, no, I want him with me. He's going to live with me now. So in 2015, six years after Michael's death, Stephanie drove 16 hours to Austin to look for answers in person, starting with his death certificate. She went to the Texas Vital Statistics Office, walked up to the woman at the front desk, and handed her the form she'd downloaded online. She was excited to be talking to the people who could finally give her answers. And she looks up the information, she comes back, and she's like, we don't, we don't have this on file. The office had zero record of Michael's death certificate. And I was like, wait, what? Surely they must have missed it. So she asks them, well, can you just look one more time? But still, nothing. Like, this is, that's insane. Like, if you think about it, it's like, was it one person that had one bad day and didn't file paperwork or someone new Mm -hmm. forgot? Stephanie felt defeated. She figured she needed his death certificate if she ever wanted to be able to bring him home. But it was also more than just that. When someone you love dies and there are all these question marks around their death, it can feel like you just want something, anything that's tangible in order for closure to even feel like a possibility. This piece of paper meant more to her than just the answers it might contain. And now it seemed like getting it would be almost impossible. Details and documents were elusive, and no one she talked to seemed to have the answers. So she turned to one tangible thing she did know, his obituary. Even though it was just one line, it did say what cemetery he was buried in. If she couldn't find the details of his death, at least she could be physically near him. So on a separate trip, she flew to Austin with her boyfriend to find Michael's grave. When Stephanie and her boyfriend arrived, the first thing she noticed was the sign, Travis County International Cemetery. Half of the letters were missing, and the temporary sign they'd put over it had fallen on the ground. Stephanie got out of the car, feeling numb, but also really focused. They had no idea where his grave was in the cemetery, so they decided to split up, go section by section, and meet in the middle. And then that's what we did, and we just... Piece by piece, we kept looking and looking. She'd scan the markers. Nope, nope, not that one. Nope, and just keep going. She was wearing a sundress and clunking around in these big combat boots. It was so hot. I My shoulders were sunburned. I didn't care. I just We just kept walking around. I didn't even have, like, a hair tie. You know, you're just like, doesn't matter. And then when they got to the very last area, Stephanie felt hopeful. These markers were at least organized by date. 
it was like I went into overdrive. I kept, I actually started saying like, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Because then I started seeing January, February, March, and I started seeing 2009 and they just kind of kept going. I started pacing pretty fast and I went over to that one and that one said December 11th, 2009 and he died on the 9th. And I'm like, this could be him or that could be him. Any either direction surrounding this one. I was like, he's gotta be like around here though. She walked around, counting down to where he should be, bending down to peer at the markers, but some of them were hard to read, they were on paper, and a lot of the writing had been washed away or bleached by the sun. Grave by grave, she walked and walked, until she was well past where he should be. But there was no sign of him anywhere. It felt like her brother was incredibly close, but also so far. She started calling Michael's name. I'd just be like, come on. I just need like a sliver of anything, you know? I'm like, where where are you? Just like, I don't believe in this stuff, but like anything, a freaking bee, sting me, I don't care, like something. Slowly, it started to sink in. This was another dead end. She turned to her boyfriend, and in this moment of pure desperation, she started yelling. I was like, this isn't fair! And then I just started crying, and he was like, I know, I know. He's like, none of it's fair. None of it is. They drove back to their Airbnb, and she climbed into the shower, numb, more certain than ever. Her brother was, yet again, truly lost. I was sitting in the shower for, like, two hours, and, like, I didn't want to move. All I was doing is staring at, like, the water on on the tile, you know, and, like... um kind of listening to the TV on. It's, like, muffled in the other room. A couple days later, on the plane ride back to Florida, she noticed that her shoulder was starting to peel from the sunburn. It was already healing. She says it felt like this harsh reminder of how time just kept moving forward, even after his death, when all she wanted was for it to stand still. That trip happened last year, in 2021. We spoke for the first time just a few weeks after that, and she sounded completely resigned. I'm getting to this point where I need to, like, I, ha- I need to protect my health a right. little bit, too, because um, it, it's, it's so hard. It is so hard. And so that's when I asked Stephanie, well, what if our team here at the show looked into this and tried to find answers? And she told us that'd be great, but she also was not going to get her hopes up. I I mean, I truly have zero expectation. I I don't expect some, you know, gigantic miracle with yeah. a huge file and, like, all this crazy yeah. stuff. All like, the answers yeah, in like, one place. That's, that's not realistic at all, especially because, yeah. you know, it's it's been a while. This, this right. is, what, 11 years this year, so... What our team found, that's on next week's show. This is a two-parter. I'm calling with the podcast, This is Uncomfortable, and I'm wondering if you might be able to help me find information about a decedent. I just just kept on just researching in my data, and then I was like, okay, well, this one has to be it. I thought it was going to be a long shot. Oh, my God. It's kind of incredible. Our reporting took us to people all over the country as we tried to not just find answers for Stephanie, but to also dig into this deeply important but rarely discussed topic of what happens when someone like Michael dies indigent, when they or their family 
don't have the money for a burial and go unclaimed. The unclaimed tend to be hidden, a kind of secret dead of society. It's one of those things like nobody really wants to be in charge. That's next week on This is Uncomfortable. Until then, you can always reach me and the team through uncomfortable at marketplace.org if you want to share your story or if you have any questions or thoughts for us. You can also stay connected through our weekly newsletter. It is a place where I try to make sense of the news and share a bit about what's going on in my own life. Our team also shares really solid recommendations about what to consume. You can subscribe to that by going to marketplace.org slash comfort. This episode was lead produced by Marissa Cabrera. It was hosted by me, Rima Grace. Our producers are Camila Kerwin and Phoebe Unterman with help this season from Marielle Seguera. Haley Hirschman is our senior producer. Our editor is Karen Duffin with help this week from Caitlin Esch. Marquet Green is our digital producer with help from Tony Wagner. Sound design and audio engineering by Drew Jostad. Donna Tam is the director of On Demand. Special thanks this week to Megan Dietrich and Serena Chow. And our theme music is by Wonderly. All right, I'll catch y'all next week. <laughs>